are so glad you're here today. Um, how many of you got a high five? How many of you got a hug? Well, that's even better. That's awesome. All right, that's cool. All right, how many of you in the room, we got a lot of crazy people in this room, so how many of you in this room like a thunderstorm? You like a rainstorm, a thunderstorm? Okay, all right. I knew we had some crazies in the room. How many of you, um, if you're inside, fireplace, hot chocolate, you like a snowstorm? How have you like, maybe you like a snowstorm? Okay, that's cool. You guys are from Michigan. That's where you're from. Um, but I bet nobody in the room, I bet nobody likes a personal storm. Nobody in the room wants a personal storm. You want to get out of a personal storm as quickly as absolute possible because we don't like that kind of pain. And we're wrapping up a series this morning on storms, and we've used a nautical prop every week. And Griffin started us off with a compass. And um, if you're a boater or you're out a fisherman, you need a compass. Phil Huff and I were out in the storm of our life. Uh, about 25 miles out in the Keys one time. GPS worked, but had it didn't work, you got to have a compass to know where you are so you can get home. Week two, I used a life preserver. And I talked about how most times people put life preservers on themselves, but not the early church. The early church had a vision that they didn't worry about this life. It was not this life. It was the life to come. And so the early church figuratively would take the life preservers off themselves and make sure they were preserving the lives of other people. Last week, we used the depth finder, and we showed a couple pictures of the depth finders on the screens. And the depth finders are cool because above the water, things look good. Above the water, you know, you've got great sight lines, blue skies, nice clouds. It looks good. But below the water, below the surface last week, we showed a wreck. We showed a ship, a boat that had wrecked and crashed and was basically deteriorating. And in our lives today, you know, if you got a hug, that means you probably took a shower. If you got a high five, you know, it means you had one last night. But, but in our lives, you know, we, we look good this morning. We shower, we look good, we dress up. But below, there's wreckage. And we talked about the wreckage last week. This week, we've got another prop, another nautical prop. Here's our prop for this week. It's the sail. Everybody is familiar with what a sail looks like. Aren't those gorgeous? I don't know how big those are. I don't know how much those cost, but those are cool sails. And so again, here's another picture of a sailboat. Um, We're going to talk about sail today. So our nautical prop today is the? Our nautical prop today is the? All right, we got the sail. All right, so I got this letter. Uh, just yesterday, and it's from a 64-year-old woman who was baptized a couple of weeks ago out at Honeyman Island Beach at our baptism service. 64-year-old lady, here's what she wrote. She wrote me a novel. I'm just going to give you a couple paragraphs, okay? She said, I was baptized at Honeymoon Island Beach, 8-14-2016. Funny, but when I ask others what was the date of their baptism, they can't remember. That is a day I will never forget. I didn't know when I woke up that morning that my life was about to change forever. At age 64, I was going to be reborn. That morning in church, you were given a sermon about relationships, and it was as if there was not another person there, just you were speaking to me. You looked into my soul, and you knew all the pain inside me. That morning, I was thinking of how I spent my whole life being angry, 
jealous, envious of everybody and everything. I'm going to skip several pages. When we got to the beach, she said, I was quiet. My sister told me to go sign in and get a shirt and that the baptism was about to start. And when my name was called, I stood there professing my faith and accepting Jesus into my life, and they were not words. It was reality. When I was running through the people staying on both sides, remember the tunnel that we make as we go down, that we have the tunnel? When I was um, running through the people standing on both sides down to where you were, uh, I was thinking of the fact that I don't know how I'm going to get in the water. I about drowned when I was five. I was scared of water. And yet, she said, I overcame my fears, and God gave me the courage and the strength to get, to get baptized. And she said this, I can't thank this church enough for being a part of my baptism and for teaching me how to accept Jesus into my life and to trust him. Now, what did she do? She adjusted her sails. She made the adjustment of her life. And what I want to talk about this morning is that all of us in this room, we may not be sailors, and we may not have a sailboat. We all know what a sail is, but in our lives, I bet if we were at Bonefish today for a couple hours and we're having lunch or having dinner together for a couple hours, I bet all of us in this room, you could tell me some really good adjustments that you've made. I bet everybody in this room has made some amazing faith adjustments. You were going a direction, you were going down a road, you were going down a path that wasn't very good, you were sailing in a direction that wasn't very healthy. I bet you wouldn't be here this morning. You're all here today because you've made some amazing faith adjustments in your life. And you could talk about this for hours and for hours. I bet all of you in this room have made some great family adjustments. Maybe you worked too much and you were losing your family. Maybe you didn't work enough, and you had to take a part-time job just to make ends meet. But I bet all of you in this room have made some tremendous family adjustments. Maybe you had to change your tone. Maybe you had to change your attitude. Maybe you had to learn to be kind and and, and considerate and, and overlook one another's faults. But I bet everybody in this room you have made some amazing adjustments. I bet all of us in this room have made some pretty good financial adjustments. You've made some bad decisions or you made some unhealthy decisions or unhealthy choices, but I bet all of us in this room have learned to make some better financial adjustments. And when it comes to your future, you've made some really good choices. You have. And so in your life, as you sail in your journey As God continues to redirect you, you've made some amazing choices in your life. But I bet all of us in this room could also say, gosh, I wish I hadn't have done that. Am I the only one that ever felt that way? (laughs) Or this is me more than what I've done. It's what I've said. I wish I hadn't have said that. Anybody in the room feel that way? Uh Uh-huh. Every husband raised his hand. Yeah, that's right. We feel that way. We do those things. And so what happens, though, if you don't make the necessary adjustments in life? Well, about three years ago, our son Ethan, and he was back over here playing the guitar this morning, uh, our son was invited at age 22 
to join another uh, man on a 42-foot sailboat, and it was kind of a professional trip, and he was going to get paid to do it to be a deckhand. And you know, he'd never done that before, and it was to sail from West Palm, Florida, all the way up to Maine, well over a thousand miles. He'd never done this before, but when you're 22, I mean, what else you got to live for, right? So he gets on this sailboat, and his shift was in the middle of the night. And they did two-hour shifts all by himself, and they're 300 miles off the coast of Wilmington, North Carolina. They're in the Gulf Stream. They're not close to land. They're 300 miles out there. It's in the middle of the night. He's got his shift. The captain is asleep. The other deckhand is asleep. And Ethan's got the wheel. Knowing Ethan, he's probably writing a song or having a good time singing. All of a sudden, he sees two lights way off in the distance. Well, it's okay. Those lights are way over there. They're out there. But that, that, those lights keep getting closer and closer and closer and closer. It's a 350-foot barge. They're in a 42-foot sailboat. What are the odds of a 350-foot barge and a 42-foot sailboat on the same collision course? And Ethan wakes the captain up at the last minute because he thought he could handle it, and the captain narrowly misses the barge by 100 feet. Now, that barge would have run over them and we honestly wouldn't have known what happened to Ethan or these other two guys. The barge wouldn't even have known they hit it. And by the way, that's why parents have such good prayer lives. <laughs> and he's increased our prayer life tremendously over the years. He <laughs> really has. So what happens if you don't make the necessary adjustments? Well, life does not go well for you. Life will not go well. So today... We're going to talk about you, and we're going to look at some great scripture out of 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17, because there's adjustments that you've made that have been really wise and really good. There's also adjustments that you're going to be needing to, be, to make that will keep you on that right path and keep you exactly where God has you and where God wants you to be. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it's a great verse. I want us to read these verses out loud together. Let's look at it on the screen. Are you ready? Here we go. Ready? Yep. Three of you are ready. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Let's read this. There's two, there's two slides, so we're going to read these two slides together. Here we go. Do not love the world. Or, no, wait, 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 wait. You can do better than that. This is not the 830 service. And by the way, they're awake. Okay? They're awake. You're not awake yet. Here we go. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever." Now, I have never preached on these verses before, and I've asked myself all week long, why is that? These are like classic verses, and I'll have an answer for you in just a minute. So we're going to go through this. We're going to see the balance to this, because there is a balance to all of this, usually in Scripture, and we're going to start with the very first part, and he says, do not love the world. Now, what does that mean? Do not love the world. I got up early this morning. I was actually, I saw a sun rise out at the Safety Harbor Spa, that little dock that goes out there. I was out there before 7 o'clock, watched the sun come up. Does he mean don't love sun, sunrises? Does he mean don't love sunsets? Does he, mean, does he mean don't like 
nature and creeks and rivers and streams and all that kind of... He's talking about a culture. He's talking about a vortex. He's talking about a DNA. He's talking about something out there, a force out there that is not going to help you make the right adjustments in your life. He says, do not love the world or anything that's in the world. Now, why, why is that? Why, why does he say don't love the world or anything in the world? Now, push pause on 1 John, and we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, because 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, there's a balance there, because God gives you great things and wonderful things, and He doesn't want you to feel guilty about them. In fact, He wants you to enjoy the things. And so this is not a sermon about you shouldn't have something newer or shinier or faster or whatever. In fact, God's all about upgrades if you look through Scripture. But every gift that God gives to you, He says to you, enjoy it. Enjoy it. You've earned it. You've received it. It's yours. Use it as a platform. But what's he trying to say? He's trying to say if those things from the world try to take the place of that giant-sized vacuum inside your heart, it will never work. Because the things of this world are meant for you to enjoy, but they're never meant for you to worship. And if you worship them, then the love of the Father, He won't be in you. So that's where we're headed for this for just a minute. Then He breaks this all down. He says this. He says, if anyone loves the world, go ahead, let's go to the next slide. If anyone loves the world, see, the love of the Father is not in them. And so here's what you have to decide. You can be a Christian. You can be a believer. Sin's forgiven. Going to heaven. Eternal life. But you got to decide whether or not, it's called tack when you move the sail. you got to decide whether or not you're going to make an adjustment and you're going to pursue the things of this world to make you happy or you're going to pursue the love of the Father. That's your choice. That's the tension that you have to figure out. And so he breaks it down for us. Here's what he says, first of all. He says, this is what the love of the world looks like. It's the lust of the flesh. So what is the lust of the flesh? Well, we all have flesh. (laughs) We're all flesh and blood. And so he's talking about appetites. He's talking about appetites, the lust of the flesh, appetites that are out of control. Food, drink, alcohol, and and it could be power, could could be control, could be money. But he's saying the lust of the flesh, you gotta have money. You gotta have materials. You're in a material world. Everybody has to have money to live. He's not saying it's wrong to have money. He's saying the pursuit of that to fill the hole in your heart it, it won't work. And so the lust of the flesh was kind of like King David. And King David sees Bathsheba on the rooftop. And he says, who's that chick? She's hot. And he says, who is that? And they said to King David, they said, by the way, David, that's Bathsheba, Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. That was the clue. Uriah's, she's taken wife. And King David says, I don't care. I'm the king. I'm the king. And that's going to make me happy. And it was absolute disaster. So the first of these things in the world would be the insatiable appetites that are out of control, that are trying to make you happy. The second one is not only the lust of the flesh, it's the lust of the eyes. 
And the lust of the eyes would be, I look and I'm trying to get stuff to make me happy. Ladies, I don't know what designer purses are and designer shoes for you guys, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Uh, so I'm not going to try to act like I know what any of those are. But if those are the things that make you happy, he's saying, he's saying the love of the Father won't be in you because you, you, you're, you're pursuing that. Guys, if we're pursuing you know, toys or whatever, they, they, there's nothing wrong with having them, but, but, they, but the lust of the eye, they won't make you happy. It's kind of like Achan. And the sin of Achan was Achan was told not to take something. He took something. He took something that was devoted, sacred to God. He hid it. And he, he then, he lost his life, he lost his wife's, his wife's life, lost his whole family. He lost everything. And so the point of this is, it's not wrong to have things, but it's wrong for things to have you. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and he talks about the pride of life. By the way, breathe. Everybody in the room, breathe. You're all looking a little nervous this morning. This, this is going to end well for everybody, all right? Just relax. Yeah, you're, you haven't breathed in about 10 minutes. The, the pride of life. Now, the pride of life is where you're trying to have honors and titles and attention and every conversation is about you and you've got to have more accolades and you want to be famous rather than making the Father famous. And so the, the pride of life is it's where you're trying to always be the center of attention. You start a conversation that you know the answer to, but the reason you started the conversation is because you want to trump everybody else's comments, and you want to look like you're the smartest one in the room, and so the, the pride of life. So what is he saying? He's saying the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He's saying if you pursue those things, you can't be filled with the Father and those things. He's not saying you can't have a materialism. He's not saying don't live in a material world. He's not saying don't earn money. He is saying if, if that's the pursuit of your life, you will not be able to be filled with that and God at the same time. In fact, those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those are the very things that ruin your sales. They caused mildew. They caused dry rot. Those are the very elements that actually cause your sails to tear. And so I thought about this, and I thought, well, why in the world have I not preached on this in 30-some years? So I've thought about that all week long. Because as you, as you look at these, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, of pride of life, you can name people, can't you? You can, you can put names in those categories of other people. And all week long, I was doing that. All week long, I'm like, that's her, and that's him, and that's that family member, and that's definitely Danita's family. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You know. And so you, you begin to think about everybody else, and I'm going, wait a minute. That's me. I, I've done that. that that's me. I, I have, even though I know, I, I, I have, and so you begin to think about you then, and think about how you have pursued some of those things that have tried to bring you incredible fulfillment. And, and then you realize, man, probably the reason I've never preached on this is it's way too close to home. So let me say a couple things about this. And number one, the world doesn't care if you pursue the things of this world. 
The world could care less if you pursue the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In fact, the world's going to kind of turn that up because the world makes money off of that. And so the more the world can convince you, you got to have this to be somebody, you got to go there to feel good about yourself, the more the world can convince you of that, the more money the world's going to make. So the world will never convince you about that. But the second piece about this is, is that if and when I do pursue those things, what he's saying is, is that the love of the Father is not in me. And i got to make a decision. Do I want the love of the Father or do I want the pursuit of those things to try to make me happy? And that's where you got to make a decision. Which of these two do I want most? Do I want the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, or do I want the love of the Father? And then, I, then, then reason begins to go, come into my head. And I go, you know what? I know all these people who've tried this and it doesn't work. But I know also these other believers who are just, you know, sold out to Christ. And this works. This over here works. And I want to say a third thing. Because it doesn't matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor. I've seen some really poor people pursue the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I've seen some really wealthy people just have the love of the Father. And they live for the love of the Father and the power and the presence of God. So it isn't how much is your net worth. It isn't your net worth. It's what's right in here is what makes all the difference in the world to this. And I want to say this again. God's all about upgrades. God's not against upgrades. God is not against you having something newer, faster, shinier, quicker, bigger, smaller, God's not against that. In fact, when you look at Scripture, everything God touched, everything God made, everything God built, it was like premium, top shelf. God was a God. He's a God. Gold. I mean, God was into gold. God built the rings. He built the curtains. He, he did everything first class. And so I, I think as believers, we ought to be first class. I think we ought to do everything first class. I, I just don't think we ought to pursue this for fulfillment because we're smart enough in our rational thinking to realize that nobody has ever been fulfilled doing this over here. But everybody who's had the love of the Father, they're like, they're like stoked, just stoked. And so what, what are those adjustments that you need to make? What are the adjustments that you need to make and what are the adjustments that I need to make so that I will not pursue this, but I will pursue this and I will have the love of the Father? Because I I really want the Father's love more than I want the other pursuits. So I've got 11 quick things I'm going to put on the screen for you, and, and maybe you can adopt two of these. Maybe two of these would be beneficial to you. The first one is this. Maybe, maybe like this is your first Sunday back in church for a while. Just keep coming. Just keep coming back. Maybe it doesn't all make sense. Maybe you don't understand everything, but just keep coming. Number two, maybe your adjustment is to download our app. And we got some incredible verses of Scripture this week on 1 John. Maybe you haven't downloaded the app yet. Start your Bible reading this week. It will change your life. Number three, 
is maybe be intentional. Diane was 64, and she accepted Jesus Christ. Number four, and also she was baptized. We got our next baptism, beach baptism, October the something. It's coming up, all right? Intentional, I think it's October 9th. Anyway, intentional with being baptized into Christ. Number five, intentional with some accountability. Maybe you tell, tell somebody, you know what? The lust of the flesh gets me, or the lust of the eyes gets me, or the pride of life. I, I got so much pride. I'm trying not to be proud. Please help me. Maybe some accountability. Another one is number six, is to join a connect group. A great way to grow is with people. And we love you in rows, but our goal is to get you in circles all the time. Our goal is to get you in circles, not just rows. Number seven is spend five minutes praying, same place, every time, every day. You've heard me say this before. If it's not the same place and the same time, you'll never become a great prayer. Has to be same place, same time. Could be your truck, could be wherever. Same place, same time every single day. That would be an adjustment for some of you in this room to become great prayers. Number eight, have friends that are leaning into Jesus. Your friends, you've heard me say this a hundred times, show me your friends, I'll show you your future, right? Number nine, make Sunday worship a top priority. I'm not the attendance Nazi. This afternoon, I'll run into somebody at Publix, and they're going, oh, we didn't come to church. And I'm going, I didn't know that. <laughs> just, just say, great sermon. I mean, I would have preached that morning. Great sermon. I won't know the difference, okay? But, but, but make it a priority. It will change the course of your, the trajectory of your life. Number 10, listen to some worship music in your car. I love that. I got a new car I love the music coming through my car. Number 11, spend some time and money investing in eternal priorities. Wow, that'll, that'll flat change your life. Well, um, we just got back last night. My mom um, turned 80, and uh, Denny and I flew up there on Thursday afternoon, and we had a big, big birthday party for my mom yesterday. And so um, I got to spend all day Friday with my brother, and my brother and I were getting ready for the party. My brother's seven years younger than I am. He's a very young man, and so we were, we were there together, and um, I want to tell you about the storm, though, of my brother's life. So about five years ago, um, my brother had a serious heart attack, and he flatlined. He went out. The paramedics, fortunately, providentially, were at his house. And they actually revived him, shocked him, brought him back to life five years ago. I flew down like two or three days after that just to spend some time with him. And he's got a five-acre little farm and lots of chores on this farm. And he loves all that, and I hate all that. But anyway, I was there to help him. And, and, and so I, I, uh, I began to pick up on some signals from his wife and lots of alcohol going on, lots of drinking. And... and um, the wife made a couple of comments and things, and I, I asked a few questions, and I knew there was trouble. I, I got a front row seat to this. I've done this for 35 years. So I was trying to kind of help my brother just a little bit, and, oh, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. So just shortly after that, she moved out. She's having an affair, and she runs off with this other guy, and and the alcohol in her part just keeps going and going and going. So they, they get a divorce, terrible divorce. 
they have three children, one in college, one in high school, and one in middle school. And man, it was rough. And so Danae and I flew back there and she had this great connection with the three kids and they love Aunt Danita and they're crying with her and Danita's able to have those serious conversations with the kids. It's a mess. It's just ugly. That's all I can say. So he's calling me about every three or four nights and I'm praying with him and trying to walk through what to do and what not to do and what I recommend and what I highly suggest you don't do. And, and so um, about two years ago, two and a half years ago, he, he meets this woman named Michelle. Well, tell us about Michelle. And she, she doesn't really have much of a faith and doesn't really have much of a background. And, and, and Wayne had just started going to a connect group. He started going to an all-men's connect group at a different church. And, and those men in that connect group were changing his life. They were, they were lifting him up. They were in his balcony pull, pulling him up. And Wayne was growing in his faith like I've never seen my brother grow in his faith before. And so I'm concerned because she doesn't have a lot of faith, and she hadn't come from a background of faith, and she'd been divorced for five or six years. And, but, you know, what do I know? And so he marries her anyway. So they get married, and, and about six or seven months go by. This is like a year and a half ago. Um, he calls me up, and he says, hey, Michelle's going to get baptized. I said, Wayne, that's, that's awesome. Videotape it. We want to see it. Videotape it so, so Denise and I and the kids can, can watch this. And it was a great, you know, moment in, in Michelle's life. And, 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 you know, they've got, she's got a daughter and they've got three kids. And now it's a blended family and they're trying to work all this out. But, but they're taking the right steps. They're, they're adjusting the sales in the right direction. And uh, Denise and I both wondered, you know, we, gosh, I hope this sticks. You know, we're, I, we got lots of faith. You know, we hope this sticks. And, <laughs> And, and hope, hope this works and counts. And, and um, so a year and a half goes by, and they love their church. They're in a connect group themselves. He's still in a men's group once a month. They love their church. They got a great church. He's telling me about his church. He's writing checks to his church. I said, really? You're doing it? I mean, it's just awesome to see all that was, that was taking place. So on Friday, uh, we're working, getting ready for mom's party and doing all the kinds of things. And so, you know, they were, they'd treat us to breakfast. I said, let's go. I'll treat us to lunch. Let's go to lunch. And so we're at McAllister's at lunch. And, and during, during lunch, they start talking about their church. And you can just see them just start to almost vibrate. They're so happy. They're so excited about the adjustments that they've made. And they just attended a leadership seminar, the summit, which was a simulcast at their church. And, and they're watching, and, and, and they've got, they pull out this notebook of all these speakers, and they get them on their phone, show us pictures, and, and you know, I think Denise and I probably know all of them, but we weren't going to say anything because we were loving the moment. We were listening to their story, and they're telling us all about these speakers and who they are and, 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 and scripture after scripture, and, and Michelle's just got her notebook out, and she said, we learned this, and we learned this, and, and he taught us this, he taught us this, and I thought to myself, I am so proud of you. I am so proud of the changes that you've made because you've adjusted your sails and you were both going down a path that was going to crash into the rocks and the reefs and nobody was going to recover from that. I am so proud of you. So I had a chance that afternoon, just he and I, as we're doing more chores. And I said to him, 
You have become the man of God that God has always designed you to be. I am so proud of the adjustments that you've made. And with tears in his eyes, he said, it's the right thing to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the man that God has called me to be. What adjustments is your heavenly Father calling you to make today? What, what small adjustments? What's, what little adjustments? What, what, what just small pieces in your life is God calling you to make and calling you to be? And how you can try. I bet you've made some phenomenal decisions with faith, with family, with finances, with your future. But I also know that we're still in this journey together. And we've still got a lot of work to do. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords is calling us individually and collectively to make such a difference for his people and for his children and for his world and for his work. And then the love of the Father just immerses you. The love of the Father just comes all over you. The love of the Father just is inside of you and he's in you. So you may be in a storm this morning. If you're not, you will be. You will. But, but the adjustments and how you sail and where you sail and why, it'll make all the difference in your journey together. So don't leave. We're going to sing that great song, How Great Thou Art, as we close today. That's a song that even in the midst of a storm, we can have great hope and trust. And we're going to sing that song. I'm going to pray for us first. Father, we come to you this morning. We come to you because we trust you, because you are great. And though the storms may be big and the storms may be wild and the storms may be raging, we come to you today and we place all our hope and all our faith and all our trust, not in the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, but we put all our faith and trust in you, Jesus Christ, the great I am. And so we worship you today. And now we worship and sing with this great old hymn it just encapsulates our faith and our trust in you. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.